0: Desiree Berg, and welcome
1: to the 34th. In the 1930s, La Crescenta became the scene of many American Nazi rallies. They gathered in Hindenburg Park at the bottom of Dunsmore, today Crescenta Valley Park. The German-American Bund, a pro-Nazi group with ties to Hitler's Germany, was a relatively small organization, fewer than 6,000 members nationwide. Consequently, they were zealous to convert other German-Americans to their cause. In La Crescenta, they infiltrated the Fasching Festival, Germany's equivalent to Mardi Gras. While locals enjoyed traditional German music, danced, drank beer, ate bratwurst. Nazi sympathizers gave speeches in support of the Fuhrer and the Third Reich. The Bund even rented biplanes and showered the crescenta Kenyatta Valley with national socialist pro-Nazi leaflets, what they called snowstorming. On Hitler's birthday, 1936, the year the Olympics were held in Berlin, Nazi supporters held their largest La Crescenta rally yet, a torchlight parade with over 2,000 attendees, though by then local sentiment had turned against them. When the war broke out, they all but disappeared from view. In 1944, however, 30 members of the German-American Bund, including those who organized the rallies at Hindenburg Park, were put on trial for sedition. After the death of the judge, the proceedings were declared a mistrial, and they were all released.
0: So I'm here in Tujunga, California, speaking with local activist Eric Boyd. Eric is an actual native of this area, you grew up here, so you know a lot of the local players, Um, you're familiar with the history of the area. So I wanted to talk with you today about two things. The history of this area and its roots in Nazi and neo-Nazi activity, because I think we're still feeling some of the implications of that today. And then what happened with you at some of the uh, protests we had here? Um, Our viewers will recall that you were hit on your head with a skateboard by a peckerwood named Dempsey so I want to discuss those two things and how they're related. So first let's um, look into a, a deeper dive of the area. It's history. Um, I know there was back during world war two, a little enclave of Nazis that existed here in this area. And just to give everybody an idea of where we're at Tahunga is due north of downtown Los Angeles, maybe 10 minute drive. I uh, maybe six, seven miles. I would yeah. guess or something about that.
2: Thanks. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm glad you, you bring it that far back. Um, So I've I've done actually a lot of digging on the history of this area and the history of this area is kind of like twofold, right? It's, it's, there's the good side and the bad side we'll say. Right. But what's interesting about the area on one hand is from what I understand, there's like a really radical history in this area. And so that goes back to like literally like groups that have met up that were like anarchists and socialists who used to meet up in shadow Hills, which is just a little further away this way uh, on a regular basis. And, um, also like the community was founded as a, like a little after those, those groups started, um, as a utopian socialist concept. And so you had, um, a guy named Marshall V Hartranft came in, who was, who was, um, who was actually, um, a follower of a guy named Bolton Hall. Well, people in this community know Bolton Hall as a building, a museum now that, it's just like a a a a building in a park made up of like these these well stones that um that used to be like native to this area or that are native to this area that people used to make homes with. So there's a few different buildings that are like that. Um Bolton Hall was Emma Goldman's attorney and he was the kind of founder of the United States back to the land movement. So yeah, that's that's how this community started was was For about the first 10 years or so, it was basically a bunch of people who, and for those not that familiar with kind of the the rich history of socialism that goes back and is very broad, this was kind of more of like an individualist variety of socialism where it was like the idea of an individual owning a plot of land and being self-sufficient on that plot of land. Um, And I know that doesn't sound super socialist to a lot of folks who are socialists nowadays, but basically it goes right in line with that concept of like the workers owning the control of the means of production. In this case, just a single worker, right? And so that's kind of like, again, that's how this community has its roots. That's how it started. Um, so we, we had that from the get-go, but then also around the same time, or a little bit after that, I'll say, um, the community got incorporated into Los Angeles and you started to see variety of you know, new, new residents coming in. And some of those residents included, um, the, uh, August 1st properties and August 1st, August 1st was one of the, I guess you could say one of the major, like early, like Bund members. Bund is the, you know, the, the, the Nazi party, uh, the United States Nazi party right around the time when Hitler was in power. Um, So that was going on in that area. That's a similar thing going this direction in uh, in the La Crescenta community. Um, We had C.V. Park, Crescenta Valley Park, um, used to be called Hindenburg Park, which was a uh, a, a, a kind of an ode to Paul von Hindenburg, who was the Weimar Republic president just before Hitler, who actually uh, actually, um, basically passed the... Passed the torch to hitler and um a lot of people kind of lay blame on him for a lot of that although that's kind of controversial as well because he was kind of going out of his mind at that point sort of like a particular presidential candidate we know about right now um (laughs) so just got to throw that knock on joe biden real quick um but yeah so in like 2016 i believe a few members of the community it's there's there's like a a small German enclave that's lived there since then. Basically the park used to have uh, literal Nazi camps and like Nazi youth camps. And, and these, this was during the years when, when Hitler was in power in, in Germany. And so this group from, uh, of German Americans decided to go to the, I guess the town council or city council or whatever. And, and they erected a, sign commemorating Hindenburg Hindenburg park or the Hindenburg section of CV park and residents who knew what was what the history was all about were like were are outraged and they're like no we're not going to do this and so they they um you know after a few years of protesting it um they ended up switching that sign out for a historical i guess like a basically like just like a little tablet thing that, that gave like a, a a listing of the of the history of the area so that people could be educated on what actually happened rather than like trying to commemorate this horrific history. But yeah, so, I mean, you know, going either direction here, there's, there are some degree of history that has to do with the Nazi party. And, um, that, that really stretches up until maybe the 1940s and a lot of that activity kind of died down. Um, unrelated to that. And what a lot of people might not know is that like the Bund, the American Nazi party didn't, they didn't get along with the KKK, right? The KKK actually hated the American Nazi party because the American Nazi party were immigrants from Germany. So KKK hated, I mean, back in the day, KKK hated immigrants. They hated Catholics. They hated Irish. They hated anybody who wasn't like a very specific, I believe it was like you know, like a, a Protestant sect of Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, blacks and, and others. And so, unrelated to that, um, you know, a few decades later, you start to see this kind of insurgence of the KKK in the Sloan's area. Um, one example being that, like, it's rumored at least that there's a KKK headquarters or there was a KKK headquarters in Lakeview Terrace. It was like the KKK headquarters of Los Angeles. So the KKK, like I said, it seems like they had a headquarters right there. Um, that area also was the site of the Rodney King beating, um, like right down the street from where that k- headquarters is rumored to have been. Um, I've heard of a bunch of other, you know, various racist attacks. Of sorts, like uh, There's pictures of some Korean church that I guess these people are pretty stupid. So they put up a sign by a Korean church that said, like, no N-words or something like that. Um, and that was a few years back. I know of people who have, uh, uh, who, who have had like some of those KKK members in that area, um, burn crosses on black people's lawns. For example, as recent as like 2000, the year 2000. Um, and so, you know, you've had a lot of these like little tiny things that have happened, not tiny things, but I'm sorry, little kind of more like covert things. It's not like full on, like, Hey, KKK is marching through the area, but it's definitely like, like a coach of mine when I was in, in high school um, talked about going to, to college and learning uh, from a black history course. Hey, crap, the community that I was raised in, you know, is the only community to this day that has KKK rallies on a regular basis still to this day. And um, that was that was at least when he was in college. And from what I understand, that never really stopped. I think that still goes on. Um, this isn't stuff that I've seen, but I've definitely heard secondhand from other folks who said, yes, this still goes on. So I can't confirm it, but I can definitely say that this history and these rumors have existed. Um, There's a lot of neighboring communities that are like Burbank and Glendale that are sundown towns uh, or were sundown towns, I should say, up until like the the 1970s. Um, So, you know, there's like little different enclaves all around this area that have this very much white supremacist culture. Um, Fast forwarding a little bit further, you get into like the 60s or 70s. And then even into like the 80s and 90s, right around the time when Rodney King was beaten, the Tonga community, it was just taken for granted by, by members of the community that yeah, there were bikers that would patrol Foothill. This, this is this boulevard right here is Foothill. and the police just said, hey, like we don't have to worry about patrolling because the bikers keep the undesirables out. Well, if you're familiar with racist dog whistles, a lot of people will claim that undesirables just means like criminals and things of that nature, but it means a whole lot more than that. Let's just say that. Okay. It, it typically doesn't mean people of white skin. Those are some of the kind of background things that I learned about later in life. But you know, when I first became acutely aware of this issue uh, was when I was in high school and a friend of mine was walking down Foothill um, and saw a, I should differentiate. I I think I have told a few people skinhead, but let's be clear. There are the actual original skinhead movement was an anti-racist movement. Um, so this guy was a bonehead to differentiate skinhead and bonehead. There are the boneheads are the explicitly white supremacist ones. So there's a bonehead walking down foothill. My friend sees him knows what's going on and turns around and the guy runs up on him and punches him in the back of the head just for being black on foothill. So, um, you know, I get a call from my friend. Hey, I just got assaulted. We're trying to find this guy. We're trying to press a police report. This and that can help us out. Nothing came of it at that point. Um, I'm at school with him leaving school uh, about two weeks later. And he and I are just walking out um, through the lunch area. And he stops dead in his tracks. And he, I'm like, what's going on? And he points. He's like, that's the guy who hit me. And I look over and there's this guy standing there yelling things. And all I hear is F N words, white power. And you see the entire, there's this, this big group of, 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 black students right behind him all just stood up and started, you know, a, I mean, it's, it started a big race riot. And the, the thing that that shocked me about that experience is that an individual who I used to skateboard with, who was Mexican joined in to help his bonehead buddy, and that made me aware that like this idea of white supremacy isn't limited to white people. Um, so that was kind of like my first encounter with the racist history of this community. And that's kind of what uh, kind of led to me, I guess, becoming active in this community and, and kind of led to me like recognizing what was going on when the protests started happening.
0: So let me ask you this: uh, You know, that was probably in the '90s that you were in high school and this happened.
2: I'm a little younger. I, I graduated in t- 2006. So,
0: oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> That's all good. I project because I'm a Gen Xer. It's all good.
2: It's all
0: good. I, uh, you know, because we had when I was in high school, we had it was a very racist time to be alive, and uh, you know, the the Pecker woods, the San Fernando Valley Pecker Woods, were very active then. The Nazi lowriders were very active then. And indeed, the skinheads were at that had already morphed from this like anti-racist punk movement into a neo-Nazi movement. That so it was co- definitely co-opted at that point, even though its roots had been different. And those guys were more of like the ska, like the young kids will have to look up ska music when they after they're done listening to this yeah, interview. Flash,
2: for example, red, red and anarchist skinheads is a is a group that like kind of formed from that uh, that era for sure.
0: You know, and my favorite, Dead Kennedys, of course. Fuck Nazi, yeah, punk, you know. Was,
2: it's on my black, my uh, my Black Lives Matter playlist. So yeah,
0: fuck Nazi punks, right?
2: So <laughs> it, it's uh, it's Nazi punks, fuck off. I think.
0: Oh, Nazi punks, fuck off. That's right. So um, anyway, so that that history does exist, but it seems to me that 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 it's never changed. Then in this area, you have sort of a a historical through line yeah. from the original Nazis all the way to the neo Nazis that exist here today, and they're clearly here. You know, I've shot many of the protests that occurred here in Tahunga. And there were guys with uh, racist tattoos. I don't, you know, clearly they were Nazis. They self-identified in that area. So I want to uh, talk with you a little bit about what happened to you. So you were hit on the head with a skateboard by a guy named Daniel Dempsey, who has uh, quite the arrest record, by the way. He is a Peckerwood. He has the F tattoo across his stomach. Um, I did some research on this in the area and I found a lot of Peckerwoods here. So there's a, like a little subsect of the San Fernando Valley Peckerwoods, the Tahunga San Fernando Valley Peckerwoods, right? And they're here and there's active and they, they have very hateful things going on on their Facebook pages. They have swastika tattoos. They're, they're definitely not playing around, right? right? So let me ask you this. So the guy gets, he hits you on the head. I have it on video. There's no way this isn't a massive assault. The police were here. They did nothing. And I know that you spoke with the police after this incident happened. And my understanding is they understand is they still haven't done anything. Um, just for full disclosure, I did email the detective that has been assigned to your case um, twice now. He has not responded to my emails. So he obviously doesn't want to have any comment on media? Yeah, so, sure
2: hasn't responded so, to me either, though. So. so I said he sure hasn't responded to me in a while either, though.
0: All so. right, so walk us through the assault and then your experience with the police. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I had been... Um, we had been involved in protesting here at this location for a while already. Um, and basically, I guess quick layout on it was... You can see this boulevard here. Uh, we would protest on this side of Foothill. Um, and we were countering it was it was actually a trump rally across the street that had been there for about a month prior to us being there and so they would typically be across the street and we'd be over here but in the last few weeks uh going into when we got involved in uh in 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 those in the two major events the the two last events that we had um they would they were starting to come to our side and and just be on our side before we even got there and um So really the week prior to that, I think is what led to them, uh, uh, doing that because they had, we had basically been here having a good old time, ignoring them. We outlasted them and there were like three of them still there and they were just kind of pissed off. I think that, that we had, uh, kind of outlasted them. So I think they decided, Hey, let's disrupt them next week and let's, let's show them like that's, you know, they don't get away with that kind of thing. So I should also add that I had seen Daniel Dempsey over there, uh, several weeks prior to that. Um, not just several weeks prior to that, but like in successive weeks. So yeah, there's, there's David and Daniel Dempsey. I had seen both of them here on multiple different occasions. Um, I'd had an issue in previous weeks with another individual, who, um, who, who had been masked, who I didn't know at the time who it was, but it turned out it was someone who I'd grown up with his kids and he seemed to target me in particular. Um, I'm not going to go into speculating as to why, but the point is, you know, he'd gotten into my face, let me know. He had been checking on my Facebook profile and had seen, you know, different things like me working out, this and that. He, uh, he talked about, um, What he would do to me if the cops weren't there, things of that nature. And I would see him walking behind the line over here, talking to David Dempsey, kind of like, you know, them whispering to each other. And every time I'd pop my head up in front here, this guy would jump out and like make it a point to like try to intimidate me or something. So that was the kind of background for all this happening. Um, The week when I got assaulted, I came up. This embankment right here. From my, my, uh, I got dropped off right here, and then I came up this embankment, and right over here, at this tree here, um, this was basically the like dividing line between the group of their guys that showed up to intimidate us, and the group of us behind that line. We had numbers, so we had about. I want, I mean, it's not a huge town, so when I say we had numbers, it's not like LA numbers where there's like hundreds, but we had close to a hundred people. I want to say it's probably actually more like. I'd, I'd actually say more like 50 or maybe a little bit less than 50 people uh, on our side. Um, and they had about—they they had a little bit more than we did, um, especially if you combine the people that were on that side and the people that were here. Um, and so they actually showed up with a number of people that we've since identified as, like, members of the Proud Boys, members of various uh, various white supremacist groups. Um so first of all, like one of the guys who was a recurring face was Brandon Recor, who, from what I understand, has been confirmed to be a Proud Boy. There's video of him uh, punching someone in the face with a megaphone. There's video of him um, uh, hanging out with David Dempsey. David Dempsey bear macing crowds. We've got video of David Dempsey assaulting someone else with the exact same skateboard he assaulted me with. Oh, oh shit! What? What's that? What's that? There were a number of others as well. I think uh, Tina dealt with. Uh, was it, I know Kronchanga is his last name. I don't remember exactly. If you want if you want to chime in real quick.
0: Yeah. No. So uh, Joseph Kronchanga and uh, David Dempsey. Right. are uh, Yes. So they hang out together. Joseph is a definitely a proud boy. I found uh, five different Facebook profiles that he has with different aliases on uh, Facebook. They were both arrested uh, in Santa Monica at a protest for using bear mace against protesters. So they had just been sentenced or uh, convicted in July of this year for that crime and they have not been sentenced yet. So, and nonetheless, these are both Proud Boys. They are definitely um, very violent. And I think it's interesting that you have somebody that's both a Peckerwood and a Proud Boy so there's definitely some sort of um, supervening going on of these various organizations. Right.
2: Well, and I was going to mention some of the, there, there were a bunch of other faces. You could probably help me here. But like, so John Toronto, also called like Based Spartan, was there. Um, who uh, Help me out with the other guy with the goatee. You know who I'm talking about? Benny White? There's our, oh, I saw Benny White, too. He was there. Uh, but I'm talking about the, the guy, the bald head guy. The bald head guy oh, with the goatee. Uh, Kiefer. Yes, Adam Michael
0: Kiefer. Adam Michael Kiefer. So, yeah, no, so I did a deep dive into all of these folks because they've also been seen in Portland at the protests up there. They've been seen down at Huntington Beach at the protests there. Um, They've been associated with a group that was traveling around against the um, anti-sanctuary city bill that uh, was being put forth by Kevin DeLeon. So these guys are definitely instigators. They're not afraid of violence. And the idea that they were having this open the church rallies across the street and that the BLM folks were the vital ones is absolutely absurd.
2: Yeah, g- thank you for that. And g- good, good point to add to all that. Um, so the individual who seems to be the common denominator of like bringing all these people here is the founder of Latinos for Trump, which is Elsa Aldegar. I think she goes by a few other names as well, like Elsa Quintanilla and Elsa Aldegara or something like that. And she's also got like a bunch of different Facebook profiles. Right, and uh, and we called out actually a, a colleague of mine. Um, we, we we he and I called out uh, uh, Sheriff Villanueva at one of his recent press conferences because he had her speak at this press conference, and also like in that press conference claimed that same thing. Like she's just this innocent person who's who's uh, who's bringing, um, or who, who's coming for these Open the church Churches rallies, and she feels so bad that she can't come to Slantung anymore.
0: Stephen, do you have a question?
2: Um, yes, yes, I do. Uh,
3: I would like to know um, if uh, Sheriff Ioneva could uh, please address the decision to bring a known far-right nationalist, Elsa Aldeguer, to his press conference in September. I actually live in Tahunga, and I know firsthand that uh, that Elsa, um, his, her statements were complete lies. She did not lead a rally to open the churches. She's actually an agitator who associates with Proud Boys and brought them to our part of town. Um, these Proud Boys attacked Black Lives Matter protesters here in Tahunga and broke a skateboard over one person's head. Um, she frequently flashes the white power sign on social media, and her her statements about protesters breaking her cross were lies. And there were no police injured during any of those protests. Um, could you please address the fact that you elevated and validated uh, a dangerous far-right agitator who has hurt uh, Tahunga and continues to hurt uh, this part of Los Angeles? Thank you. Did you
0: clarify exactly what form that was?
3: <clears throat> what form? That was a press conference. Uh, I believe it was September 10th um, where you brought her up to speak uh she she addressed she mentioned she had an open the churches rally which is actually not true she co-opted a a local trump rally and brought in a, bon, a bunch of out uh outside agitators crowd boys from other parts of the uh the city and and the country
2: um well you're citing a lot of things that are unknown to me or unfamiliar by me and uh we'll have to look to see how accurate that is and uh I can't comment on it right now because that it's news to me is it is news about everybody here. Well, she's literally the one who brought Brandon Ricor and David Dempsey here. So I've got pictures of her sitting there with David Dempsey, like in looking like a photo booth and he's throwing up the white power sign. And you know, she's got plenty of pictures with all of these guys. Um, everyone we mentioned right now, she's got pictures with all over the country. Um, And so she's absolutely not an innocent creature either. She was bringing people to these events. And I know I had a few folks. We actually ended up talking to some of the more like, we'll just call them naive Trump supporters. Because the majority of people over there, like three quarters of them are just like either like retired, you know, patriots, so to speak, uh, who just are unaware of what's going on. Or they're like super church going folks. Um, and so I talked to some of those folks who don't seem to want to accept the reality that, like, they had people over there who were absolutely members of white supremacist and fascist organizations, including, like, the first day we got out there, there was someone who got assaulted by an individual who was holding a flagpole. I've, I've seen a guy who attempted to assault, who, well, I guess, I guess assault is kind of like when you just attempt something and don't actually connect with it, right? So a friend of mine had a... I, I thought it looked like a baseball bat, but they were telling me it was like a flagpole swung at his head on video by an individual who had been there every single week. And then I go to other, uh, I, I'm looking at other footage of, of, pro, of protests and this guy's showing up all over the place also. So it's not like, hey, these guys were not there until like the numbers started getting bigger. These guys had been there week on week on week. And anyways... The the particular week in question, like I said, we had pissed them off because we had showed up in greater numbers. They show up with a bunch of members of the Proud Boys, folks who are many of which are also members of the of the Peckerwoods. There are a lot of Peckerwoods that live in this community as well. Um, and the first thing I see when I get here is just a line of our protesters, um, you know, being in, in the face or, 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 or with 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 these folks in their face and yelling, going back and forth. And I get up to the front line, right over here, and I'm just standing there between Brandon Recor, also another individual. Um, why am I forgetting his last name? Named Philip. Uh, Philip Young. Um, and Philip Young is a. He's he well, I, I can't confirm that he's a three percenter. I just know that he carries a three percenter flag to every event he goes to. So I assume he's probably a three percenter. He just looks like too much of a dork to be a three percenter to me. So. Um, <laughs> I would I, I, I wonder you know he's, he's a little scared you know but he showed up that day holding a uh, can of pepper spray can of syrup pepper spray and uh, looking like he was scared out of his mind because he's got everybody right in his face and I'm standing right in front of these individuals and we're starting to get surrounded I'm also looking around because I'm seeing specific individuals that are catching my attention in particular a guy wearing a ski mask and a shirt that says Free Commie Helicopter Rides, for those of you guys unaware. This is a reference to uh, to Pinochet, to to Augusta Pinochet, who was the uh, the the fascist dictator of Chile, who also was like the first president to implement a neoliberal um, economic policy given to him by Milton Friedman. And um, Augusta Pinochet was known for, for one, of course, he was interning communists, but the, the, the rumor was that he was Uh, throwing communists out of helicopters. In reality, what he was doing was throwing, like, uh, despondent military officials out of helicopters. Either way, there were people being thrown out of helicopters, and they like to... um, They like to uh, kind of glorify that. So that's what his shirt was all about. And on the back, it said, fuck Antifa. And so I'm watching this guy because he's pretty clearly suspicious to me. Um, And so... As I'm sitting here, looking around, trying to figure out what's going on, um, and I'm like just trying to keep myself between others so I can protect people, um, I see them starting to surround us. Members of our, I guess you could say that the, the Antifa slash block group that has been coming out to, to protect folks uh, showed up a little bit late and they see that we're getting surrounded. So, they start to put their bodies into the crowd here to kind of like make it so that we're less surrounded. So, my friend and I advance to kind of like again get our make our way into the crowd so that we can kind of not be in a vulnerable position. And as we advance, we get closer and we get further and further back, and Philip goes behind, get, you know, follows us and, and, and in, in order to stay like right in front of us. And um, at one point, my friend and I, uh, my friend Aaron is right next to me. We're shoulder to shoulder with each other. And Philip is behind someone and reaches over that person with his pepper spray and starts spraying Aaron in the eyes and then turns that pepper spray to me. Right as he does that is when I, may, I go and tackle him you know, right around these rocks over here. And he, he ends up on the floor. And as soon as he ends up on the floor, the video footage will show that, the video footage shows that like as soon as he's down, the guy in the ski mask takes the opportunity to come down and start punching me in the back of the head. So I covered my head, and at that point, all hell is breaking loose. There's a huge scuffle, there's people getting punched and kicked and etc. One of our Black Block members throws a smoke bomb into the crowd to stop the fight. That smoke bomb is effective, but then what you see is like slowly you see people coming back together, getting in each other's faces. And so, this is one of the things that the Proud Boys seem to like to do. For one they'll, they'll use something to start a scuffle and make it look like someone else started it and then if the scuffle stops they'll sit there and act like hey I want to stop the violence. I want to stop the violence all while they're doing something subversive to get somebody else to, to start something. So that's what Brandon Recor was doing. He's standing there. He's like hey we want to stop everything and he's jabbing people in the gut with his microphone while he's, doing, while he's saying that. So then naturally people are getting pissed off about that kind of getting angry again and then fighting starts all over again. Um as this fighting starts, I see a line of people coming at me and I'm starting to kind of like push them away. I'm an ex football player, so I'm like my mode is to immediately go into like blocking mode. So I'm pushing people away and as I'm doing this, I feel what feels like a punch hits me right here where you see this scar and I turn back to get out of the way. I kind of go, like, onto all fours for a second, and then I'm about to get up, but then I notice that I'm gushing blood from my forehead, I'm like, crap, I better get the hell out of here. One of my buddies from, from Black Block starts yelling medic, and they pull me off to the side and start wrapping up my head, and I get over to the ambulance, and as I'm as I'm getting into the ambulance, I'm contacting my fiancé, I'm contacting my mom. My mom's an RN, and... I'm trying to, you know, figure out from her what to do. And I'm trying to get my fiance to pick me up. And my mom, I guess, got a call from my friend Aaron. And I had been telling my mom I got punched. But Aaron's like, no, he got hit with a skateboard. So I found out that I got hit with a skateboard from my friend. Um, And then over the course of the next few days, like, I get, you know, I ended up getting footage of what happened that confirmed all this stuff. But, yeah, I mean... It's just this big, huge fight going on, and uh, it was largely started by someone pepper spraying the crowd, and they absolutely had you know, planned this out. So.
0: so I want to redirect back to the police again, because they were present here that day, and they did absolutely nothing. I even have some footage, because your friend Aaron that you mentioned, he was later on uh, pepper sprayed again and i have footage of that and right behind aaron you see a line of lapd officers and they're just standing there one of them is in fact chewing gum just kind of you know doing this so which i thought was like this is wild this guy is like in pain over here writhing this guy pepper sprayed him and they're not doing anything but i'm more concerned about the fact that you were assaulted in such a violent manner you've been in touch with a detective I've been in touch with them, as I mentioned, and they've done nothing. So talk to me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. Well, and before you go, um, I wanted to say, so you were here that day. Yeah. I, um, from what I understand, from what I, I didn't see any cops when I got assaulted. And from what I understand, they had been there before I even got there and they actually left. That's correct. And was it like one or two stayed around or was it just like, did they all just leave? They- Cause I, I, I think they may have, may have come back like towards the tail end of it.
0: So that is my understanding of what I saw happened. There had been several here earlier in the day and they just left in mass and then came back again. But they definitely saw what was going on and they were definitely aware of what's going on. Why they would choose to leave after seeing this big brawl is beyond me because they obviously knew there was trouble brewing.
2: Yeah, that's, that's what I, that's what I thought. Um, again, I, I didn't see a single cop when I was assaulted. So in fact, we were looking around trying to figure it out and we didn't get any of that. So, um, the, the thing about the assault too, and stuff that we've kind of learned since then, um, is first of all, again, the, the assault took place. I didn't know what happened, but I learned more as we went and, um, I had no clue who did it at first. When I got video, I saw, oh crap, it was like I see a piece of wood coming off my head. So the skateboard was actually broken on my head. And then I, and then I got contact from another individual who was like, hey, I know who hit you. And he had better video footage that showed like the guy in the ski mask holding on to his skateboard from the, the truck's and reaching over someone and, and and coming over and hitting me in the head with it. And so he's showing me that. And then he's like, look, here's proof of... Like, for example, he has the same shoes on. You're looking at his pants. And, like, I remember seeing the guy with khakis on. And he... Apparently went into the big five over here and he unzipped his khakis. I guess he had like khakis that were like converted into their khaki pants that converted into shorts. He unzipped the pants, took the bottom off and, and it became khaki shorts. And then he was wearing a green shirt at that point. You could see the bun, his, his, uh, his, his man bun that he has through his, his ski mask. And then when you see him in footage afterwards, because he did come back to protest or to, to rally, whatever they want to call it. He's, he's got his, his man bun. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's all these different things. that we're looking at we're like, crap, it's the same guy. Then we find video footage. It's video footage of him with literally the exact same skateboard, but in this case, no mask on. So you can see definitive proof. This is David Dempsey. He's swinging a skateboard. It's a green skateboard. That same skateboard is seen as he's swinging it on my head, but with his ski mask on. Um, I also pointed out to the cops when I did my police report that he had lifted his shirt up while he was over here wearing his ski mask and he was wearing his he had his he had his sfv tattoo on his belly um so that's something that they can obviously look at if they wanted to actually take him in um so there's all these different things that we presented as evidence um first of all let's also mention that again i'd seen this guy seemingly coordinating beforehand the video footage shows him standing back here Pacing back and forth what looks like he's Looking for an opportunity to attack Someone you can see him kind of shifty Looking around and then he eventually Comes around and turns and swings The skateboard so it's not like he's just Like randomly swinging the skateboard at someone He's actually like looking for A specific person to swing the skateboard at And looking for his opportunity to do so Um, So After this Happens uh, I go to the hospital I actually did tell the doctors that, hey, I would like to file a police report, but they ended up not bringing the cops in and they ended up dismissing me there. And I'm like, all right. So a couple of days later, I did eventually contact the cops and I was like, hey, this happened. They sent out a police officer who had been out here watching. It's an individual, a cop who, who I appreciated his efforts. I still FTP, but at the same time, you know, the, the, the system, but there's a few, few guys who like, I'm not going to call them good cops. I'm just going to say they're like people who at least are trying to do the right thing, you know, even if they don't necessarily live up to the standard they need to. Um, and this individual appreciated the way I conducted myself. Appreciate the way I conducted myself, and um, so he was someone who was sympathetic to me. Shows up at my house to take my police report. I give him all the information on what has happened, and um, then I end up like compiling all the, uh, the the data that I have and sending it off to 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 another officer. It was, it was him and Officer Mejia is the other officer that was that was involved in that. Send off the email, and then a couple days later, I get a. Uh, A call from Detective Kimry, can't remember his first name, but Detective Kimry calls me, asks for a lot of the same info, asks me to forward him that info. I forward him that info, the same info that I ended up forwarding to Tina. And Detective Kimry called me back one more time, intimated, not explicitly, but kind of like, hey, like, basically, I don't want to give you false hope that we'll be able to arrest this guy, yada, yada. You know, like I said, he calls me back one more time and then, like, he's like, Yeah, I'll be in touch with you again. And I haven't heard back from him since. So that was, I want to say, two and a half months ago now. So,
0: yeah, it's really disturbing. And when I said it, one of the things I mentioned in the email that I sent him when I asked him for comment was that this individual, this is who he is, he has just been convicted of bear macing somebody else at another protest he's done the skateboard trick before this guy is definitely a peckerwood and so let's talk about that for a second so the peckerwoods um, just to give a little explanation we've been talking about those folks they are uh at least they started as being a sort of a sub association of the nazi lowriders back in the 90s um but they're a prison gang They're white supremacists, but but they're mainly a prison game. That's where they got their roots. That's where they grew. That's where they became something um, larger than just, you know, kids running around on the street committing felonies, what have you. That's where they got very serious about not only the white supremacy stuff, but dealing drugs, dealing uh, illegal arms and all kinds of things. So the sheriff's department is mainly, or is not mainly, is exclusively in charge of handling our prison system, right? They're the officers that deal with that, not the LAPD. And so, obviously, these folks have a connection with these Peckerwoods on a daily basis. Uh, So, I want to know, in your mind, how do you think they round that circle? So, the police department, the law enforcement, the sheriffs, they're supposed to be fighting crime. Yet, here they are ignoring very clear evidence of an obvious crime that was committed. Do you think there's a relationship?
2: Can I prove it? No. But, I... I do think it's very suspicious that I haven't gotten any contacts back. Um, You know, I've been, you know, I'm I'm an activist and I'm someone who has done my research beyond this community as well. And so, like, I also, you know, have a sense of what's going on with, for example, Sheriff Villanueva, who I called out in his Glendale press conference a while back, uh, not just for, you know, allowing Elsa Aldegar to spew her nonsense, but also for, claiming that there was no evidence whatsoever of uh of the uh of the uh, the executioner's gang that there are now he's ignoring the fact that there are now i think three whistleblowers which i brought up to his face and he said oh well i'm living in a leftist bubble and that it was only a, a lawyer who who actually had uh, who had, had claimed that in some deposition somewhere and that there was no basis for that whatsoever Um, I remember actually seeing the interview of the police officer who was saying, yes, there is this gang. Um, I definitely know that there have been a number of whistleblowers in recent times, not just for the LASD. The LASD's got the huge problems. But LAPD's got some some of their own issues with, like, a SWAT gang that's controlling, or at least is rumored to be controlling, their, uh, their hiring and firing process. So, you know, based on these things, which, again are alleged they're not but there's definitely like police whistleblowers coming out and saying hey this is what's going on so yeah i i I definitely think there's that and obviously there's the history with the rampart division there's the history of this area being patrolled by the uh uh the various um biker gangs and their connections with the lapd in the area um and what i find particularly interesting about it is you know sheriff Villanueva swears up and down that he got rid of all this bad stuff that was going on. And there are far more rumors now than there were during even the Lee Baca years and Lee Baca is sitting behind bars now. And, you know, back in the Lee Baca years, you know, you had the Linwood Vikings, which is a literal open white supremacist police gang that I'm sorry, sheriff's gang that existed obviously in the community of Linwood, um, Just one example of multiple gangs that existed through his tenure, through the guy, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy who followed him. And now that Sheriff Villanueva is in office, there's rumors of like close to, or maybe even over a dozen different gangs that have different jurisdictions throughout all of Los Angeles. So, and of course we all know about the Rampart division scandal and different things of that nature. There's a history of that in this area. Um, And yeah, there's been certain reforms that have been made here and there. Um, and certain people have been caught and been thrown in prison and this and that. But the problem is systemic. It's not a Sheriff Villanueva issue, right? Sheriff Vill- Villanueva is not doing enough, but that problem's not going to go away once you get Sheriff Villanueva out of office. That problem's not going to go away once we, because we've made reform in the LAPD who, you know, the, the the Rampart Division scandal's long past us. There's plenty of other scandals still going on. So I think that when it comes to the San Fernando Valley Peckerwoods, one of the things that I've noted, I've noticed over the last few months, is that there are a whole lot of people I grew up with who are openly identifying as members of the San Fernando Valley Peckerwoods. And as Tina mentioned, they are an explicitly neo-Nazi gang. How do I know? Well, I have people that I used to hang out with in middle school that are literally posting on Facebook their white power with a swastika behind them posting screeds about you know uh, if it ain't white it ain't right and throwing up their san fernando valley peckerwoods you know uh tattoo on their belly while they have a hat that has a swastika on it so you know if nothing else there's a very close connection between those two groups i have ex-neighbors who were I have ex-neighbors who are members of various neo-Nazi and, and uh, neo-Nazi groups who also have ties to the Peckerwoods, Woods. And these guys are all connected and they leave their social media fairly, a lot of them leave their social media fairly open to let us, to let us see that information. So,
0: No, yeah, it's wild. A lot of it is open. But it's interesting for you because, because you knew them in high school, they've accepted friend requests from you. So you're seeing the stuff that they also have friends only on. And you showed some of that information with me and it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty bad. I want to go back and talk about Alex Villanueva for a moment, because you bring up a really pertinent part of the conversation. I actually did a deep dive interview that was about an hour and a half long with Alex when he was running for office. And he fully acknowledged the gangs inside the sheriff's department. Um, The Linwood Vikings is the one that he brought up because that was the one related to Paul Tanaka. And the previous sheriff was McDonald. Yeah. So, um, and so these guys, this is a problem that is systemic inside the sheriff's department. I agree with you that Alex isn't going to be able to fix it, but I do wish he would stop pretending like it doesn't exist anymore because it does. So for that reason, I don't think the sheriff's department can be reformed. I just don't. There is a absolute history of racism so ingrained with the way they do with everything. You know, another thing to bring up with the sheriff's department is they really are the outside agitators in most of these areas because most of those sheriffs don't live in the areas that they police. And you'll notice, uh, you know, when I was just shot up by the sheriff when I was filming Andy get hit by the riot shield in West Hollywood, those sheriffs were from Palmdale, right? So the the sheriff's department, because of the way it's set up, because they only oversee the unincorporated parts of the county, none of these folks live in the communities that they're, that they're uh, policing so it's, it's a problem and, they, and a lot of them definitely are white supremacists so I, I think you can't reform it you, you just have to blow it up and start over in many ways um, but I really do wish Alex would stop pretending like it doesn't exist yeah. especially when I have an interview with him saying that it does like he's pretending like he fixed it and cleaned it all up and that just didn't happen yeah. didn't happen um, so one last question do you think this area is changing at all. Do you think that these that these Pekowas and these neo-Nazis, etc., are a smaller part of the community now than they used to be? And do you think that uh, that's going to continue to get better as time goes by?
2: We ended up starting a group called ABRA, or Against Bigotry Responding with Action, that started kind of leading the protests in the area. Since we've stopped doing this protest, um, ABRA has joined into another coalition that is making it a mission to Organize the valley in general, the San Fernando Valley, which includes communities like this one, like the La Crescenta community, like the, the La and community, just a little further out. And in the other direction, it's the Sunland community, the Lakeview Terrace and, and Shadow Hills communities, uh, Sun Valley, Pacoima, etc., and even as far out as like Chatsworth and other places. And so the reason why we think that's so important, and to bring back into the discussion what you just brought up about. The cops who shot at you being from Palmdale. Um, The cops in L.A. that, you know, we keep seeing protesters go out and get brutalized by. None of them live in L.A. All of them live in Palmdale, Lancaster, Orange County. These are hotbeds for white supremacist activity. It's also where a lot of the cops live. I don't think that's a a coincidence. A lot of them also live in the Sontanga community. A lot of them also live in the Santa Clarita community. A lot of them also live in Chatsworth and other areas where there are suburbs outside of Los Angeles that are more white people in general. And generally speaking, there's a lot of that same history that we've brought up through this interview. Um, And so to me... It's important to organize in the communities where these people live, especially coming up to election day, where I think a lot of voter intimidation is going to start happening. Um, so that's what we've been focusing on a lot. Now, um, <laughs> I, I've I've completely diverted from your original question. Remind me real quick, and I'll. Yeah, actually, that's a great question. So, let me start with. There is a ray of hope, right? I think. I think that all of this boiling up to the surface right now, like this stuff's never gone away. It's always been here. Um, And in fact, there are less of them now, but it's more clear. They're more loud now, mostly because of the Donald Trump phenomenon, I think. And he's emboldened them. And I do think, first of all, like if you actually look at the demographics of this community, even though there's there's this major vocal minority, probably about 30% of them, are, are per, probably about 30% of the community are conservatives in general. And, you know, given the fact of you know, the matter that there is now this significant, you know, anti Trump Republican component, there's probably at least a number of those people in this community as well. So I would say 25% of this community are Trump supporters, when in reality, it's the other 70% are actually liberals. And so the ray of hope to me is. This is just the dying, I guess, the dying uh, uh, outcry of this group that used to think that that used to feel like, hey, I run this community um, doing their last dying gasp, really. And so it's uh, I I think that there's definitely um, less of them than there used to be, even though there's still this really vocal minority and that majority is not as vocal. Um, unfortunately, they're also trying to grab the tentacles of power in this community as well. We just had an issue with... Um, we've been also trying to get involved in the Son Tujunga Neighborhood Council. And the Son Neighborhood Council is filled with, like, there are a couple of people that are kind of nonpartisan. The president was a progressive um, and, a, and, a, and a woman of color. She was the first woman of color on the board. She's a, she's a Latina. Um, And she had, she had been dealing with a lot of turmoil with some of the members who are Trump supporting individuals who had been doing a lot to really like try to grab power and try to prevent her from doing anything. And so they actually had a parliamentarian who had been sitting in on the meetings from the Santa Monica community And this is an individual who's just like, hey, this is how you run a city council and run a city council meeting or a neighborhood council meeting. And I mean, these meetings were just like insanity, pure insanity. I mean, so she's on the board and they're like trying to censor her. She's the president of the board. They're trying to censor her Um, and doing it based on like really nonsense reasons. The parliamentarian was even like, look, you're clearly just trying to do everything you can to, to subvert her. And because he ended up getting frustrated with just the fact that, like, they don't care and they're trying to do these things to push her out. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to be involved in these meetings anymore. So he left and they ended up pushing her out. And now one of the Trump supporters is the is is now taking over as the president of Tonga Zong- Zong- neighborhood council. They um, so they've been doing a lot of different things at various levels to try to keep themselves in power.
0: Is, uh, is that Nina Royal that you're speaking of?
2: So so Nina is one of the individuals who's good friends with the person who took over, but Lydia Grant is the individual who took over.
0: Okay, so I was curious about that because I had gone through separately and was looking at some of the Sunland Tahunka Neighborhood Council uh, posts on Facebook and also on their website, and Luke Vela was on there co- commenting quite a bit. And if um, folks will recall, Luke Vela is the gentleman that I got on video saying fuck you, N-word, fuck you, N-word a couple of times. So clearly an absolute racist. And Nina Royal had also been here with the group at, um, with the Elsa Aldegar group here at the protest. So I'm wondering how deep that connection is as far as, because, you know, the neighborhood council, they're, they're an integral part of our local government. They don't have as much power as the city council does, but they do report back to the city council and they do have influence and sway. And they're supposed to be representing the needs of the community, right? Yeah.
2: Uh, I will just say, like, with, with the neighborhood council in this area, like, the city councilwoman and the, and her whole staff thinks the uh, neighborhood council is an absolute joke. So they really don't have as much sway in this community as as they do in other communities. But still, it is like a it's still a thing where it's like, hey, this is indicative of what this community is supposed to be about. Um <laughs> Small, small town, right? So you, you talked a little bit about uh, some of these connections. Uh, Nina Royal, um, from what I understand, her, uh, I think her son is an LAPD officer. Um, she's She hasn't been at the protest directly, but I have seen her, like, hanging out here and kind of yelling at some of our protesters and uh, hanging out with a friend of hers who's also kind of a person. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and you mentioned Luke Vela. He was across the street every week. Um, <laughs> I got to say, small town, like I said, a couple weeks ago, because they, they've now moved their protests from this location down the street to the uh, Smart and Final, and we've decided, you know, there's no point in counter-protesting them now. So they still have their thing going on. We're leaving them alone. Um, and... We had been talking to, like I said, the more naive church-going folks who had uh, been who had been sitting there, um, just just protesting, but also like they don't like the Proud Boys being there. They're people who have actually, to their credit, have personally done everything they could to like say, "Hey, we don't want anything to do with them, and if they come over here, we're going to go to the other side." And that's exactly what they did the last few weeks here. So. Um, We got in contact with them because we're like, hey, what can we do to stop the violence, to stop this issue from going on? And so we were trying to figure those things out. And Aaron and I ended up, you know, getting contacts from, you know, he he started talking to one of the individuals. I started talking to another one and, uh, you know, just separate conversations. And this individual that was talking to Aaron was like, hey, there are counter protesters here. Can you guys, you know, figure out what's going on and do something about it? So he called me and he's like, yeah, let's go over there, figure out what's going on. We we show up and it's literally like two little girls and their mom with like BLM signs standing over them. And yeah, you know, there was like yelling, but there's like 12 year old girls. Right. And they're just like yelling at them and getting things yelled back at them. And we're like, you know, me and Aaron are like, hey, you know, there's some there's some people that you probably don't want to deal with that end up showing up to these things you probably should go home. There's better ways to deal with this, right? Uh, better ways to get involved in the Black Lives Matter protesting. So we successfully got them out of there. But then, and actually the first time we tried to do this interview, the uh, there was a woman who actually came and harassed me while I was working, who was at the, the Trump protests, um, who's been a, a main staple there. She was there while we were trying to figure this out. And she pulled Aaron off to the side and she's like, hey, let's talk. So Aaron goes off to the side and starts talking to her, and then he gets bombarded by a bunch of other Trump supporters, and they're all having a conversation. And while I'm sitting here waiting for Aaron, Luke Vella comes up to me. Well, first, first one of the people that that was in that conversation, that was, you know, the the, the church going types. She, she, you know, one of, they they engaged me in conversation, and then Luke Vella came and engaged me in conversation as that was going on. So again, small town. Luke Vella's nephews, I, I grew I was like best friends with Luke Vella's nephew growing up. And I didn't actually know this until a couple weeks into the protests when my mom pointed out, Hey, this is uh this is Cody's uncle. And uh Yeah, so <laughs> Luke came up to me and was like, Hey, you know me, don't you? I'm like, Yeah, I know I know you. He's like he said, like, No, you know me. I'm like, Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about And he's like he's like you think you think Jake and Cody and Kyle are 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 racists and white supremacists? I'm like, no, I don't. I absolutely don't but and and i'm not I'm not gonna sit here and and speculate anything. I don't know what his affiliations are. All I know is all I know is what I saw on that video that day. I didn't bring that up to him, you know, but i I just at the very least, when you go and say something to black protester like that you probably at the very least don't quite understand what is okay and what is not okay let's leave it at that
0: <laughs> I, I got it I, no he's a racist <laughs> only a racist says that that's just my two cents
2: yeah I, I all I'm trying to say is I don't know what his affiliations are you got to be yes that saying something like that is racist and you can deny it all you want. Um, I've heard speculation as to his affiliations. I have not gotten any confirmation on that. So I'm not going to speculate on someone on whether or not they're affiliated with something. All I know is what I saw. So, um, beyond that, I would say just, yeah, I, I think that there's hostility on the, on the various, uh, uh, online boards. Um, there's definitely clearly like an attempt to take over the Solentonga Neighborhood Council. Um, many of our protesters have been assaulted here. We tried to get ABRA to uh, to get a stakeholder or, or we tried to get a stakeholder member onto the board. And I guess with the rules in the Solentonga Neighborhood Council that currently exist, that existed actually up until like this month or something along those lines, um, you don't need to have like these specific requirements of, like, a physical location and, like, a certain amount of time as, like, an official organization in the community. But they, like, changed that, but it hadn't gone into effect. And so Lydia Grant, the individual who is now the president or is taking over as the president, tried to use the rules that had not gone into effect yet to prevent our member from getting onto the board. So there's these, like, kind of, like, weaselly tactics they've been using. And then also, like, when we'd had our members go into the, into the, uh, into the, into the, uh, the meetings, um, we were met with hostility. We were met with people literally calling us terrorists. So it's been an interesting time. So.